I want to share a thought with you today. We're going to call this the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God. Anybody have a crown like that at home? You may have one like that. You just don't know it. Right? You might see it one of these days when God takes you from here to forever. Uh, I don't know if we'll look anything like that or not. Uh, but I do want to share with you just this thought of the sovereignty of God. And we're going to be in Psalm 115. So if you want to turn there, we're going to read the whole thing. It's 18 verses. Um, not very long verses. It won't take us long to get through that. But um, you can go ahead and turn there. So it'll be on the wall as always. It'll be in your Bible uh, if you'd like to follow along there in just, just a few moments. But I'd like to talk before we get rolling as we typically do. And uh, so let's do, let's talk about this word sovereign for a minute, right? When you think of the word sovereign, does anything come to mind? Sir? He can do what he wants to do, all right? That's a real good, simple way of saying it, right? Sovereign, anything else? Solemn? Solid? Oh, okay. Like dependable, solid? Okay. Ruler of everything. You okay? Yeah. You're right on. Yes. In control. Yeah. Anybody else here? Sovereignty or sovereign? You know, it made me think a little bit more shallow when I thought of it initially. You guys are super spiritual. So I was thinking more about the wedding. Did you guys watch the wedding yesterday? A couple times, yeah. Maybe you've seen some highlights of it on some of the social media. Hey, we've got it saved on DVR if you want to come watch it. You can come over and we'll have a, we'll have a party. Well, it takes a little longer than 10 minutes. But uh, I really had not anticipated watching it, but I ended up watching it part of it last night anyway on, on DVR. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, lots of people watched this royal wedding, right, that took place. And that was between is it Prince Harry and her name is Meghan, is that right? Meghan Markle. And now they're the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, I guess is their official title. Um, so that is their, that's their claim to royalty, right? So Miss Megan has become like the newest member of the royal family. But if you watch that wedding, you saw the sovereign sitting there. And she was sitting there in bright green, grumpy as ever, right? What's, what's her name? All right, Queen Elizabeth. And so she made her entrance and she sat through that wedding uh, with much attention headed her direction. Uh, I've heard it said, and I think she said it of herself, she always dresses brightly, so she'll stand out in the crowd. Um, so lots of humility right there. But um, she made me think of the idea of being sovereign, right? She is the sovereign, or she's looked at as the sovereign, or the ruler, as you said, or the monarch. Uh, she's this queen of England. And uh, so as I was thinking through this text, it made me think about that upcoming wedding. And I was just thought that'd be a good segue here. But I got to thinking about sovereign also means ultimate power or absolute authority. So how much authority do you think the Queen of Elizabeth has? All right. So the royal family used to have, from what I understand, a lot of power. But now it's pretty much just a face to royalty. Right? And 
they say the British people love the royal family, and they seem to people line the streets. They said there was maybe a couple hundred thousand people celebrating uh, this wedding. Uh, I guess they're a pretty big economic factor in their country, something to the tune of like $7 billion of tourism that's generated because of the royal family. So that's not insignificant, right? Uh, so they definitely serve a, a purpose on multiple levels that helps there. But here's some things that this sovereign, the Queen Elizabeth, um, here's some of the sovereign power that she has. So she can approve or deny a bill of Parliament as long as Parliament agrees. Okay? She holds the title of Commander-in-Chief over the British Armed Forces, but the Secretary of State is the one who actually carries out the responsibilities. Right? So she has the title, but she does nothing with it. She can declare war as long as the government approves. And she can dissolve parliament as long as the government allows. All right? So how much power does this sovereign have? That's right. As much as the government will allow, right? And historically, you know, back in times of war, there were a couple periods there where the monarch, the king, did declare war and they went to war. But since then they've typically went along with the government or with parliament, and so if there's not been any kind of, nobody's had to prove who's in power, right? But they said if it came to that, the government or parliament would prove who actually has the power, right? They would overrule her immediately. So to say that she is sovereign is to say that she has a title, okay? She is a queen, she's royal, but it doesn't really care with it uh, carry with it unlimited power. So let's be very careful to be clear on what the word sovereign means as it relates to God. God is not just the face of Christianity. It's not just a title that the Bible gives to him. Almost 300 times the Bible calls God the sovereign Lord. 210 of those times are in Ezekiel alone. Only five times is it mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, so when you think of God being sovereign, don't think of him as needing the approval of a, a group of people Right? The sovereignty of God ultimately means that he has absolute control. He does whatever pleases him. Right? He has power. He has control. Those things you talked about this morning as you maybe worked your way through some of the omnis. So Psalm 115, we're going to head this direction here and we'll see in here the psalmist writing about the sovereignty of God, what it should mean in our life, what the end goal should be there, and how that should build and breed some confidence in us today. So the psalmist will start here with a prayer. And as he makes his way through, it's a prayer asking for God to be glorified. He's also going to acknowledge that there are other gods, but those gods are made with the hands of men, and so they really don't have power to do anything. They have mouths that can speak, and ears that can't hear, and so on and so forth. We'll read that in just a minute. He'll work his way through those, uh, those false gods. And then he's going to remind us that God cares about those who fear him. Right? We just sang that, right? Uh, when faith turns to doubt and hope to despair, it's just this reminder that we have a God who in those moments, he cares about us. So we can cast our cares on him. That will be part of what we'll talk through as well this morning. So follow along if you'd like in your Bible or on the wall. This is from the uh, New International Version. At least on the wall, your Bible may read a little bit differently. It says, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. 
They have mouths but cannot speak. They have eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear and noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. And those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. So all you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. And you who fear him, trust in the Lord. For he is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and he will bless us. He will bless his people Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. And he will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. And so may the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. And may you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. And it's not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to the place of silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. All right, so throughout this text here, we see some glimpses of the sovereignty of God and what it means and the influence of it. Uh, obviously, the scriptures are full of this. They just reveal the God who is sovereign. But a few things we'll highlight as we make our way through this text today. And one is found there uh, in that initial verse. And one was, this was mentioned right from the get-go, right? So God and his sovereignty is going to do whatever it is that pleases him. So let's just start with a question. Do you and I have the ability to do whatever pleases us? I wanted to be six foot ten. When I was a junior, I wanted to play NBA basketball. I spent a lot of time at a park and my driveway. I've been in gyms all across this state. And that was my goal. I thought if I could reach that height, like I've been this height since seventh grade. And so I thought, man, God's going to make me real tall and I'm going to be able to play basketball for a living. I was excited about that. Um, but I never got any taller than this. Okay? So can I do anything to realistically make myself six foot ten? No. I mean, I can get on stilts or I could put on platform shoes. I could even try to have some kind of surgery done to make me taller, but it's not going to actually work, right? And so I don't have the ability to do whatever pleases me. I would love to be that tall. I still would love to be that tall. But God has different plans. So there are things we can do that please us, but there are some things we can't do, all right? So how many of us could go by the castle from the queen this morning? Do we have that sort of capability? What we would say is, oh, that wouldn't please me. Right? What that really means is I don't have the money. Right? She owns all kinds of castles and lands all around the world. And we couldn't, I certainly couldn't begin to touch anything there that she owns. So I have limitations on things that I wish that I was able to do. So when we talk about God being sovereign, there are a few words that always come to mind for me. And uh, I'd like to share these with you here as well. You might remember back in 2012, I shared these three words. You guys have those sermon notes in your Bible somewhere? That's been maybe a, a Sunday or two ago, right? But the, the words are pressured and obligated and limited. When I think of the sovereignty of God, pressured, obligated, and limited. So initially, God cannot be pressured. God is the only being that understands what absolute freedom looks like. Right? You and I don't, other than understanding that God has that. So God in his sovereignty cannot be pressured. Now, I would assume if we would take the time this morning to talk, there's probably been times in our life where we were pressured. Do you have any regrets? Things that you did because you were pressured to do something. 
yeah, we've probably all got some kind of regret. I wish I would not have done that. I just was pressured to do so. Something outside of me put pressure on me, and the result was I did something I didn't want to do. God will never be pressured to do anything that violates his will, ever. So if the Christians worldwide began to pray night and day for God to do something specific that God had no intention of doing, we could not pressure God to do something that would violate his plan. That's absolute freedom. So as I think of the sovereignty of God initially, I rest there. Because I can still feel the pressure of people. Can you? you ever feel pressure sometimes? I want to share my faith, but man, I just feel pressured in this situation. If I say the wrong thing, this person's really going to be offended and it's going to mess up our relationship. Maybe we get silent. Or pressured to stay longer than we should. Or pressured to do something that someone asks of us even though we know we don't have the time to do that. Right? Pressure is something we deal with here as humans. God is not anyone who can be pressured. And so here's how he says it. The psalmist writes, it says, Our God's in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Now, if God can do whatever pleases him, it means that he has the ability to do whatever pleases him. And that's part of the omnis that you work through today. And whatever God does will be pleasing to God. God doesn't do things that, are, that, that bring him displeasure. Do we do things that displease God? Yes. All right? And we'll hit that here in a minute. And I've got a, I've got a ceiling on my understanding there. Does that make sense? So I'm going to take you where I can take you, and then I'm going to have to put a period probably where there should be a comma. All right? Because God gets beyond my capacity at this point to fully explain how his sovereignty works in all ways. But pressured is one of those ways that uh, helps me understand his sovereignty. Another word is the word obligated. Obligated. Every Sunday for the year of 2018, at the end of the service, we're quoting a verse. Can anybody name the reference? It's found in Romans. Romans 11, 33 through 36. Thank you. All right. That's right. And as a part of that, all right, or the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how unknowable are his ways, right? For who's known the mind of the Lord? Who could bring counsel to him? Who has ever given anything to God that God should what? That God should repay. You know what that means? God is never obligated. He never has to borrow anything. He never uses credit. Right? You and I probably at some point in our life, maybe right now, prove that we have, we have obligations. Right? We pay taxes. And we pay loans, student loans or home loans or car loans or we pay back hospitals for visits, all that kind of stuff. We have obligations. God is never in anyone's debt. He is never obligated to anyone for anything. Right? None of us could ever look at God and go, why didn't you do this for me? Right? Uh, the psalmist also wrote and said, who am I that you are mindful of me? I'm just a mere man. What makes you even think about me? What makes you turn your eye or ear my direction? I'm nothing compared to you. I'm never uh, someone who has obligated God to do something in return. So he cannot be pressured. He cannot be obligated. And we see this reason for this in verse 15. It says, May you be blessed by the Lord, the what? The maker of heaven and earth, right? He made it, which is implying that he owns it. It's his. And everything that has been made belongs to him. So it's all his. I'm reading, uh, I'm about uh, in chapter 11 of Deuteronomy. When you get to chapter 10 of Deuteronomy, you'll see there in the second half of that where it talks about fear the Lord. 
And part of the reason that we fear the Lord is because everything is His. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. The earth is His. The heavens are His. Anything you can name belongs to Him. So He is never, ever obligated. The only obligation He has is to be true to whom? True to Himself. And so He's never pressured. He's never obligated. And another word I think of when I think about His sovereignty is the word limited. Limited, Like you and I have limitations placed on us all the time. How fast can you drive down Horseshoe Lake Road? You might want to know that because cops park in our parking lot out here, right? <laughs> 55 miles an hour. Okay, just so you know. So 55 miles an hour says you and I legally can't drive 75 miles an hour down Horseshoe Lake Road. Now there's a word in there legally, right? We've never done that anything illegal on Horseshoe Lake Road. But the point is, there's a limitation there that's put on us from outside. Right? Something outside of us is saying, this is what you can do and no more. You go to borrow some money from a bank. Let's say we were going to go try to buy the castle yesterday that they were married in. What would the bank say to us? We're not going to loan you that amount of money. Now, maybe 10 years ago, we could have got that loan. Right? We'll give everybody as much money as they want. Not now. You've got to prove that you have the ability to pay that back. Right? That you've got something there stored up so that they in turn, if something happens, they can take that from you and recoup their cost. And so there's some limitations there. We can only borrow what we can prove that we can repay. So all sorts of ways we could talk about limitations. Is God limited? Trick question. Spoiler alert. Is God limited? All right. So he can and he has limited himself in some ways, right? He's not limited in the ways that we just described. Outside pressure can't make him surrender, right? He can never be limited by what somebody else says or does. Um, you know, think about when he dealt with Noah. After he flooded the earth, what did he say? He limited himself. The God of all power said, I will never do what? I will never destroy the earth by water again. Does he have the power to call water from heaven and from below and flood the whole earth again? He still has the power... He just put a limitation on himself where he said, I'm not going to do it. Okay? And so this is where things get hairy. <laughs> Sounded like uh, the name of the guy out of Home Alone. Harry. All right? A couple months ago, Dr. Piccarelli was here. And Dr. Pick shared a couple things that really just like, that clarified it for me. I've read your book, I don't know how many times, couldn't make sense of it. But when you said it, and I see it in your face, and you're, it clicked. See, sometimes people say if God is all sovereign, then you and I cannot exist as a denomination. We're actually heretics. Because if God has absolute control, that means you and I don't have the freedom of what? The freedom of choice. So Dr. Pick went through these three things and he talked about all that he believed. He believed that God had absolute freedom. He believed that God could not be obligated. Right? He believed in... The, the sovereignty of God is in the control over everything from before time till forever and even over the choices of people. And so I was sitting there thinking, wow, that doesn't sound like free will Baptist theology. You know, make sense of this here. Bring it to a point. He says, we need to understand the word control. And so he broke down that word control and he made this simple, and I'm going to try to make it simple here as I understood it, right? This may muddy the water for you, and if it does, go read his book, right? It won't help you either. <laughs> go listen to our podcast on our church website. That will help you. 
All right, that's where you can get some clarity. But here's what he said about the sovereignty of God, having all control over all things, including the choices of people, being totally sovereign, and still you and I having the ability to choose. He said, before time began, God predetermined as the one who is in all control, has all authority, that he would create his people in his image. So as image bearers of God, we have volition, we have mind, the ability for intellect, we have emotions and feelings, and we also have a will. And when you look up that word will, just simply in the dictionary, it says the capacity to make a reasonable choice. So anyone who's a Christian would say we have been made in the image of God. True? And as such, we have a will, which implies that we have the ability to choose. And so then how is it that me making a choice doesn't violate or limit the control of God? That seems like I'm pulling some power from him to have power in myself. And the way it simply works is that God predetermined to give us a will. And so whenever we make a choice, it doesn't violate his sovereignty. It actually magnifies it because we're doing what he gave us the privilege to do. Does that make sense? If God had not given us a will, we wouldn't have the ability to make a choice. We would be a programmed being just living out under the programmer's sketch or uh, play for our life. And so we would have no choice whatsoever. And so in his mind, he says, I don't have any ability, I don't have any struggle really balancing the sovereignty of God with the freedom to choose. So when someone hears the gospel and the Spirit of God is at work drawing that person and they receive Christ... Does that magnify them as the chooser or does that magnify the sovereignty of God who gave them the choice? It magnifies, well, both, yeah, but ultimately the sovereignty of God. Because even in the flip side, when the Spirit of God works in a person and they reject God, the sovereignty of God is still magnified. Why? Because he, as all sovereign, gave them the ability to make a choice. Clear or muddy? Claritin clear? Or are we kind of like Horseshoe Lake right now? Right? You kind of brought a little rain and stirred it all up, Pastor. And I don't know about all this. Um, well, the point there is this. If God is sovereign, then he has absolute power. When you track that out, that means somewhere we fit in this. So we're either bit players in his play, or we have freedoms because of the will that he's put within us. Right? There's no issue between the sovereignty of God there, biblically speaking, and the ability to make a choice. Now, let's not confuse God's sovereignty with God's desired will. Right? God does whatever pleases him. It pleased him to give you and I the ability to make a choice. Does it please him when we reject him? No, his desired will is that all would come to repentance. So when we act out in that, I mean, that's, that's a simple way really to understand why evil exists. Because an all-powerful God and his sovereignty predetermined that he would give freedoms to those who've been made in his image. And you can choose to receive or you can choose to reject. Right? And you can track that out as a system of thinking. Now here again, I said I'm hitting the ceiling because the Bible tells us there's nothing that we can compare or liken God to where we fully go and that's it. Where I have fullness of understanding. Growth, absolutely, and we keep pressing on in that. Uh, but only he is sovereign. 
So nothing can stop his hand, right? Nothing can stop his plan. He alone has the power to do whatever he pleases. And so that means initially that he is sovereign. All right, secondly here, let's go. God's going to help those <clears throat> who are going to trust in him. And so here we're seeing the progression, right? Initially, the sovereignty of God is something that magnifies him, but that should have some bearing in our life. So if he has all control, right? Now control, again, doesn't make him responsible for evil. It doesn't make him responsible. It doesn't mean that he does all bad things or does any bad things. It just means that in the way that he's created us, the possibility existed. But knowing that he is in all control then should call us to willingly, gladly run to him and to trust in him. So what's it mean to say that we are trusting in God? The word trust literally means to hang on to something. Like, have you ever nailed, you know, put a nail in your wall and hung a picture on it? And you did that and that picture fell? You ever had that happen? Right? You've probably never had, you know, ten holes in your wall where you were trying to find a stud. You know, you had to go buy a picture that was big enough to hide um, my inability. All right? You've maybe never done that before. But I have hung a heavy picture before. It's in my office right now. And as soon as I hung it, boom. It had a glass frame. The glass is all gone out of it now. I just shattered. Right? So the, in that context, the picture would not have trusted the nail. Now, those are inanimate objects. But it gives us the idea of what it means. It means to hang on to something. Right? So we've hung things all around here and at your home as well. Uh, that helps us understand that. I also thought of a child on the monkey bars. Do you guys remember the monkey bars? You know what they are? Like at the playground, it's those bars are kind of in a horizontal row. And you grab one, you swing the next one like a monkey. Right? Most of the time when you watch kids on monkey bars, they're not thinking, I wonder if that bar is going to hold me. Now they might hesitate because they may think, I'm not sure that I can hold me. But they never think if I grab onto that, it's going to break or it's going to let go of me. So the idea of trusting something is it, it has the ability to hold all the weight. Something outside of me has the ability to allow me to hang on it. And so there's never a question there whether or not they can hang. It seems like they hang without a care in the world. Right? Swing without even thinking. And that's the second part of that word trust. So interpreted here, it means two things. One, to, to be able to hang on. But then it also means that should breed something in us. So if I can hang on that, that should give me some security. If I can hang on that, that should make me careless. If I can hang on that, then that should make me calm that it's not going to break. So when the psalmist writes here and he tells us, you who fear him, trust in the Lord, what he's saying is you can hang on to him and you can hold on to him. He is solid, as was mentioned earlier. And in doing so, what that does is it creates security within the believer. Right? That creates some carelessness within the believer. Not negatively, and we'll hit that real quickly. But then it also brings about a peace or, or a calm. So to trust in something has those two ideas connected to it. Right, so I'm secure in that he can hold me. And what does he say? I will help them and I will be their protector. I'll be their shield. That also means when we trust in him that, uh, we're not, that we can be careless. Now, careless sometimes means like I don't care what happens. That's not the point here. Careless here means I don't have to worry about it. There's no reason for me to fear. I am without a care 
Because my God is sovereign, I can trust in him, I can hang on him, I can hold on to him, and he will protect me. And in so doing, what that should bring in somebody who is trusting is a sense of calm. So have you ever been through this process? You're afraid, you're nervous, you're worried, you're unsure, and you look to God, and you understand who he is, and you begin to reach out to him and hang on to him. And what happens is, those cares begin to fade and you begin to get careless and your worry and fear and just all the nervousness begins to fade and in its place comes this calm. That's God. For those who trust in Him, who hang on Him, there will be security in this ability, great ability to be careless and to be calm. And God says, I will help them and I will be their shield. And so as we meditate on this, this should bring us some comfort. As we meditate on the omnis, it should bring us some comfort as well. Right? God helps those who trust in him. Here's how Psalm 31 puts it. How abundant are the good things you've stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. Now, if you went back to that verse 11 in Psalm 115, those who fear and trust, fear and trust, will get help and will find God as their shield. Psalm 31 has both of these combined. Right? How abundant are the good things. Psalm 115 talks about God as the God of increase. God who makes things flourish. How abundant are these things he stored up for those who fear you. That you bestow on the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. Or those who trust in you. And so God the promised. God the only sovereign rather has promised to help everyone who will trust in him, who will fear him. And that's just a holy reverence and awe of who God is. You remember that song this morning? I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. Right? Somebody that sings that, not because it's a melody, but because that's who you know God to be and that's what his presence does in you. Right? You know some of these things to be true. Right? You're finding his help. You're finding his protection. You're finding an abundant blessing. God's promises, not mine. Right? And so God in his sovereignty is going to help those who trust in him. And then third here, God in his sovereignty is going to be worthy. And he's worthy of eternal praise. He's worthy of never-ending praise. And so as generation after generation from the beginning has considered God, they've offered up praise to God. And it continues. Right? You and I offer up praise to God as we understand who he is and who we are in him and how he works and that he is sovereign. These things draw out praise. They draw out worship. So if you've received Christ, there's a growing understanding that's happening within you when you think about who God is, who you are in him, and his work in this world. And that happens through his word partnered with his spirit. And where those two combust together, there is just fire, there's power, there's life, there's growth. And the outward expression of that here is this never-ending praise. And so the deeper and the longer that I linger, uh, the more I want to express my praise of him. You ever find it difficult to linger? Now, I don't know if this is true for you, but just for me, the last maybe three or four weeks, I have found myself, I'm still reading and praying, but it seems like there's a, there's a time limit. There's a ticker in my head like, all right, you got to, Speed up that reading. You need to pray a little short. You got stuff. We need, just need to attend to some things. 
And so as my mind fails to linger, it fails to meditate on who God is and his word, that affects my worship. Right? That affects my expression of that. Not just in singing, but, you know, Paul wrote to the Romans and said, hey, listen, let your life serve as a life of worship. Right? You're a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable act of worship to submit yourself uh, to God, to live out your life under his authority as him as your master. Does your praise ever feel diminished? Does living a life of worship ever feel like it's lacking? Because maybe somewhere we're just not lingering or thinking about who God is. And I think the psalmist had to experience something the same way. He doesn't tell us what he's either going through or what he had been through. But from the question they ask, where's your God? We've got gods here. Where's your God? You know, so that's letting us know there's something going on here that they were asking God to prove himself. Just don't know what it is. But here's what he ends up saying at the end of that writing. The dead don't worship. The dead won't praise. But it's we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. We are the ones who will praise the Lord. And so the we here is not just people who are physically alive, but spiritually alive. People who have faith in God. And the result is that they are praising the Lord. All right? Here's where we see the idea of something's going on. Here's where I see what I see in myself sometimes. A diminished lingering, a diminished meditating, hindered for whatever reason, it leads to often a struggle in having things correct in our mind. And so the psalmist is going to linger here. And he says, not to us. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory. Not to me. All right? Not to you. Now, I can understand that because of your love and faithfulness. And regardless of what it is that may cause our worship to be diminished, I, th I think that's a reality for us. You know that song we sing sometimes, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? Right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and what happens? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. What if we flip that around? What if we turn the lyrics around and they went something like this? Turn your eyes upon the world and look full at all it has to offer then the things of God will grow strangely dim in the pursuit of your temporary pleasure. Would that sound true? Like I think my life proves that to be true sometimes. I think Psalm 115 verse 1 proves that to be true. On some level, it's been about me. And it can't be about me. It's got to be about you. So whatever I'm going through may be hindering my expression of worship currently. I may be wondering just like the heathen, where are you, God? So it can't be about me. It's got to be about you. I've got to get my mind back on you. I've got to linger and meditate on you. I've got to think about your love and faithfulness. He starts there in verse 1 and back in verse 18, he says, the result is we'll extol you forever. We'll praise you forever. Generation after generation will lift up the name of the sovereign God. That's the influence of sovereignty on the life of a person who's meditating and trusting in the sovereign God. So a few things we've highlighted here today as we've looked into his sovereignty. It's not just a title, 
right? He's not just the face of Christianity who has limited power, who can be pressured or obligated. That's not the God of the Bible. What his word tells us is that the sovereignty of God, the sovereign God, does whatever pleases him. And that's all he'll do. That's what he's after. Everything that's been created has been created for his pleasure. Remember that song built right out of Revelation 4 and 5? Thou art worthy. All right? And for thy pleasure they are created. Right? Everything has been built by the sovereign God for his pleasure. He does what pleases him. You know what pleases God? We just read it. It pleases God to bless you. It pleases God to hear you when you pray. It pleases God to heal us when we're broken. Right? It pleases God to see relationships reconciled. It pleases God to give good gifts that he has stored up in abundance to those who fear him and trust in him. That's what his word says. That pleases him. I mean, when you think and meditate on that, what does that, come, what, what does that bring out of us? What it's supposed to. Never-ending worship. Right? The whole process right there in a nutshell. God will do what pleases him. It pleases him to bless us as we trust in him and as we meditate on his blessing and who he is, the result is never-ending praise. So in light of these truths today, all I really wonder, well, two things. One is, First of all, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your only hope? Now, the psalmist didn't know Christ, but his faith was in God. He trusted God. He believed God. He did what was asked, what was necessary. He responded. Maybe you would like to respond today, looking to God by faith through Jesus Christ as your Savior. Right? His promise is, I'll save you this morning. It doesn't have anything to do with how good you are. How many times you show up at a church, how well you dress, what people think of you, irrelevant. It's all about what Christ has done on our behalf and us resting and hanging on to that by faith. Maybe you would like to do that here this morning, but maybe you've already done that. Uh, are you trusting God to be your helper? Are you trusting that he does whatever pleases him? And it pleases him to bless you. It pleases him to build your character. And yeah, that means through, through suffering, through persevering, through hardship, through wading through water that you feel like, I don't have any business being in. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know how to get out of this. Can we trust God in those moments to build? Do we understand that even in these things, he can be a blessing? Well, take time to linger. Maybe that's where you're at just not thinking very long about who God is or how good he's been to me. Take time to meditate. And what you'll find is just an expression of praise. Not just singing songs, but when you talk to people. And somebody asks you, how are you doing? You know, if I focus on my surroundings, I might, well, I'm okay. It's hard. I'm struggling. And we've got lots of things here that can get us down. If my heart's meditating on God and I'm caught, my mind is like thrilled with him, then I'll say, man, I'm blessed. My father's good. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It just means my, I'm focused as I should be. 
things are being magnified and as such other things are growing 